Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good whatever it is, wherever you are on this rainy winter day. I'm Ali Amagasu, and you're listening to Cloud Unfiltered. I shouldn't assume it's rainy where you are. It's rainy yeah, where it's, I am in Southern it's California. It's snowing where I am. It's, it's snowing where you are. Lucky. It's been raining for about a week in Southern California, and we're all very put out about it. Disaster. We, we do not care for it one bit. And it's scheduled to rain for the, the rest of the week. So if you talk to anybody from California and they're grumpy, now you know why. Uh, today's guest on the show, um, I should introduce him before he can participate in the conversation. His name is David Stanford. He's a senior manager in the cloud product management group. Um, I think of him as David the services guy, but uh, that's probably not fair. Your title is much fancier than that. Anyway, welcome, David. We're glad to have you on the show today. Thanks, Ellie. It's happy. I'm happy to be here. Great, great. Where are you located and is it snowing? I'm in Toronto, Canada, and we actually oh. had our first snowfall today. So it's been a good winter so far. <laughs> so you are not playing when it comes to weather. You guys have the real stuff. Absolutely. It's a balmy minus 15 today, so it's good. A balmy minus 15. <laughs> you are kidding me. No. Oh, that really is real weather. Wow. Okay. Just how about you, Pete? What, what do you have to, to add to that? What's no, your, uh... it snowed last night. We got like a dusting last night, and uh, I, he's David's got me on the temperature though. It's 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 low thirties, high twenties here today. You big Michigan babies. I know, and it's fifty here, and we are truly. I I cannot not I know. emphasize I'm it sure enough how are, put out we are. <laughs> I'm sure people are panicked on the freeways, and we are. Yeah. We are. We're, we're panicked. <laughs> I literally went out and bought a rain jacket yesterday. I was like. <sighs> gonna keep raining like this i guess i have to own a raincoat <laughs> i don't even own one <laughs> anyway enough of my silly shenanigans um we're excited to have someone on from services uh david because we have it before great no i'm happy and, to be here and i think what's cool about the services angle is you guys definitely have your hands in the customer's business you know you are seeing up close what their struggles are and uh, and and what's what's real versus what we're selling, right? What 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 does the real world look like? So that's what I'm hoping to hear from you today. I'm hoping to get a little bit of case study action, even if it has to be anonymous case study action. Um, but since this is a cloud show, you know, I mean, we know customers are are struggling with the amount of technologies that Cisco and all the companies are throwing at them on the regular. It's complex. If you want all the benefits of benefits of the cloud, you have to. You have to choke down that complexity somehow or another. Um, and so when you're going out there, what do you find are the biggest, what are the biggest skill gaps? What are customers coming to you looking for help with in order to be able to bridge that IT gap and accelerate multi-cloud adoption? Is there kind of a category that stands out? There is. I mean, I think we're really seeing a lot of the traditional route switch skills still out there today. And really what customers are looking for in the new cloud or multi-cloud world is an architect that can touch on everything from the infrastructure to the network and all the way up to the applications. And that's the big thing, DevOps, applications, software. That's really where, where it's headed. And that's where a lot of the folks are trying to get their experience right now. And that that's, tends to be you know, the missing skill, right? CICD, how we get these applications, you know, containers, that's, that's a big piece. You hear about Kubernetes a lot. And that's one of the core skills when we talk about cloud that most of the customers are looking for. And it's a little bit of a challenge. It's a different mindset. It's not that the, the architects and engineers who've been in the, you know, their traditional route switch type of networks can't do it. It's just a different shift when you talk with the application world. So is it, 
here's how I imagine it. If I'm running the IT organization, I think I am paying a bunch of geniuses truckloads of money to run this place. They ought to be able to figure out this container business. Absolutely. I should not have to handhold them. So yep. they come to you after things have already blown up or do most of them actually come to you proactively and they're like, well, this is a new technology and we don't have that currently covered by our knowledge base and we need help. There's a real mixture. Um, some of the customers come to us and say, hey, I know I have to move to containers. Yeah. I don't know where to start. I've heard about something called Docker. I've heard about Kubernetes. What does this mean? So they forget about things like security. Security is embedded in everything. So we have to talk about that. But even before we get to that, sometimes they don't really know what their business drivers are. So we have to go back and say, okay, well, why are you moving to containers? Uh, or why are you moving to a cloud environment? Is it just cost? And typically cost is really not the factor because it's going to cost them just as much to move to cloud as it is to stay on-prem. So we have to look at other things. Are they looking for agility, speed? Um, developers, they really don't care where or how it, how it works. They, you know, similar to what you said, they just want it to work. So they expect architects to be really multi-cloud architects that they can come in and, and do everything. And that that's a challenge, trying to get everybody to, to be that multi-cloud type of architect and understand all the different technologies. So when you go in there, are you generally, are you training their people to be able to, to hand this off to them eventually? Or are most of these like, we're coming in, we're camping, we're staying here, we're... So the, the, there's, there's two really two, two schools there, right? One, the majority of the customers want us to come in and help stand it up and show their operations team how to use it, how they can adopt it. Sometimes it requires a little bit more handholding than just an implementation. So we have you know, our business critical services team typically stays with them and provides ongoing knowledge transfers, um, design sessions, but really the customer wants to do the day-to-day -day operations. Then you have other customers who just said, you know what, I just want you to maintain it, own it, you know, completely have a managed service. I would say it's probably an 80-20 split right now for the customers who want to, to do it themselves to the other 20% who wants Cisco or some other vendor to, to manage it for them. That makes sense. If I was paying a room full of geniuses, I'd, I'd want them to be able to figure this out and run it for themselves. Yeah. Speaking of geniuses, Pete, you look like you have a question. Yeah, I wanted to, to hit on something that you just said there, David, that you said that oftentimes they don't know what their business drivers are. Um, I mean, I, I worked in HPIT for 17 years and I certainly saw a lot of, you know, walled garden kind of stuff like IT thinking that the, the job is done and you can throw the party when a VM gets created and not really care about what happens above and beyond that in terms of that, the value chain. Are you seeing a shift in that or have you seen a shift in that in your tenure in services where the IT people need to start to pay a little bit more attention into how their services are being used in the full value chain that ultimately reaches a customer that's generating revenue for a company as opposed to woohoo, the VM or the containers can, that's, you know, and, and, and kind of your hands off from there. Yeah, absolutely. There, there used to be that disconnect where the, the IT team just said, hey, I've given you your VM, do what you want. Now they have, I think more of the DevOps, the applications teams yeah. are more critical now. So the IT teams, the sort of the infrastructure, the security teams, they have to stay in constant communication with the DevOps, the apps teams. So when we do things like advisory engagements, we pull all of them into the room at the same time. Yeah. I think that's the only way to really understand what the the drivers are and we you know funny enough we find out that even now even when they think that they're communicating well sometimes they'll realize hey i didn't know you were going to do this or i i'm setting up this way this is not going to work so 
it's still there's still a divide, but it's getting a little bit closer than it was. It's funny to me how having a third party in the room can help facilitate that communication because I, I certainly experienced that in in my long tenure in IT that that the business people don't necessarily trust what the IT people say and vice versa. But mm -hmm. if a consultancy comes in and says the same thing, they're like, oh yeah, that totally makes sense, and like. I mean, to kind of paint this in, in the, the bigger the bigger Cisco picture, right? If if you see Chuck or or Kip Compton or Fabio Gori talk about our multi cloud portfolio, they'll talk about in terms of connect, protect, consume, and advisory, and it's really that advisory one that we're talking about here, and, and the importance of facilitating those conversations and telling people how to giving advice on how to use the different pieces together. But but really, are are you finding that you're are you spending more time than you would expect sort of being the arbiter of relationships versus being the educator of product? I would say it's not so much education on the product. It's more facilitating the discussion to try to brainstorm to understand what they're doing. Right. I think the customers have the answers. They just, we have to guide that discussion to understand right. and really dig and see what they want to do. And then from there, you know, they, we kind of look at, okay, well, what kind of gaps do you have right now? Sometimes we can fill it with Cisco products and the majority of the multi-cloud portfolio does fit into our cloud you know, our hybrid cloud model. Uh, other times they have third parties already embedded and we have to sure. work around that and work with them. But it's really trying to guide that discussion to figure out what they, where they want to go. And then from there, we can, we can follow on with services that can actually help them. Cool. So that begs an interesting question. If you, you guys are, it's, that early in the process, say, of, of multi-cloud adoption or any kind of cloud adoption, a customer's come to you, obviously they're, they're, they're probably a Cisco customer if they're engaging Cisco services, but lots of times we may not have the particular cloud solution that they need. Um, so are you guys kind of Switzerland in that you are willing to recommend whatever is best for the client regardless of whether Cisco sells it or not? Um, that, I mean, do your guys have to be experts in basically all cloud technologies? They do. They do. And I mean, even Cisco's overall multi-cloud strategy is to be cloud agnostic. So yes. we have to understand all the different cloud environments, right? We have Amazon, Microsoft, and Google, but really there's a lot more than that. I mean, products like Cloud Center support 16 different cloud providers. So we have to be aware of all of these, plus the third-party components that actually we have to install. So it's definitely, uh, it's a challenge, but that's the skill set we're trying to build so that Folks can come in and we, you know, typically it's a team type of engagement. You get questions from customers at times and you say, hey, I have to go back and look into this. But there's a, a larger team that supports and can say, yes, this is where we're headed with this, this technology or this cloud. You, you bring up an important uh, issue, and I appreciate that, um, that we've had some big announcements over the past, say, six months, uh, snuggling up to Google, Amazon, uh, working with SAP. Um, so where do services come into that? Do you guys have specific services that, that help people implement those hybrid cloud solutions or, or what was your role in it? I, I really don't know. I quite really honestly yeah. don't know what services role was in that. And I think that's an interesting uh, thing for you. Definitely. So we're actually embedded really early in the process, right from the point, actually it's under NDA. We're embedded with the business units, with marketing, with our different sales teams to make sure that services actually will have offerings around the solution. And we have a complete life cycle of offerings, but also in addition to the offerings, we're involved as far as helping vet out the solution, making sure it actually accomplishes what the customers wanna see. We participate in the early adopters program. So these are the newer customers who are really doing proof of values, proof of concepts for the new solution. So we deliver that within the services team. 
And ultimately, not just that piece, we want to make sure that we have the reactive support, our tax support. And really with these, you know, Amazon, Google, SAP, it's complete solution support. And what that means is the customer calls, they purchased all the components in, say, the, the hybrid solution for Kubernetes on AWS, and they have a problem with Amazon. They can still call Cisco TAC. TAC will triage with AWS and fix the issue. So that's the one thing about solution support. So we make sure we have that from day one so we understand all of the components. And then, you know, quick starts, these are something we develop for every one of these solutions. And what a quick start is, it's one of our offerings that we can go out and stand up the core components of the solution. So for something like, say, the Google, the hybrid cloud platform for Google, we stand up the hardware. So we stand up Cisco Hyperflex. We integrate with Cisco ACI. We also implement that. We install container platform, Cloud Center, uh, Stealth, uh, sorry, CSR1KV. And then we, in, we, we integrate with that with the Google Cloud components make sure the solution's up and running, and actually show the customer how to use it. I think that's the real value. Bring the applications in, show them how they can actually have that hybrid cloud solution. Most customers know how to install a VM or how to, to spin up an image. What we have to do is show them what they do afterwards so they can actually adopt it and use it. Right, right. When I used to work with uh, MetaCloud, they, you know, our guys would say all the time, you know, it's not setting up the cloud that's the hard part. Yeah. <laughs> it's running it afterwards. Yeah, it's the using it afterward. That's the hard part. <clears throat> hey, David, are you seeing, um, you know, as we've been rolling out these different package solutions with, you know, co-announcing with the with the different cloud providers and with SAP, right? We, we take some of those products from that multi-cloud portfolio, package them together in a, in a hybrid way, and, you know, bundle services and support with them. Are you seeing, are there things that like five years ago that people would worry about with cloud adoption that they're not worried about anymore? I think the biggest thing they don't worry about anymore is just the fact of somebody else hosting their applications, somebody right. else, you know, hosting their data center. That was always a concern that I'm not really sure if I can put my confidential information on some in someone else's location. So that's not a worry anymore. They understand that there's security built in around all of these different public cloud environments. That's not saying security is not an issue, but we don't have that level of concern anymore. So customers are more willing to move over. Cost is really not a big issue, not a, not a big business driver from what I see. Right. To move to the public cloud or to keep it on-prem, you know, it's, 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 still, you know, it's still comparable. It's really around the operations, how we provide access that customers are looking at really right now. And are you seeing, I mean, the, there, there was always the, there was always the, the shadow IT thing, right? Where I'm a developer in a line of business team and my IT team, it takes six weeks and 5,000 tickets for me to get a VM spun up. I can yeah. run my Amex on AWS and get it in 10 minutes. You know, I, I say this all the time to a developer, there's no such thing as shadow IT, it's just work. Yeah. They're just trying to get it done quickly. Um, are, are, you, are you seeing a recognition by the IT folks that like that, that speed is a thing to that constituency and that like they understand why they've made that turn and, and how they have to exist in that ecosystem. Definitely, definitely. I mean, I think what they finally understood is the business is not around uh, the infrastructure, it's around the application users, the consumers, the developers. So they have to do it as fast as possible. And I think the shift to containers is really the sign that this has happened. Containers, they're so isolated, right? You can spin up and and have your application segregated from the rest of the operating system. And I think that was always a concern before of, 
well, I have to look at all the other applications in the OS. Can I do this? You know, do I have yeah. disk space? With the containers, it's made the infrastructure group's life a little bit easier because they can spin it up. They've saved on resources, but also the, the time to provision with something like a Cisco Container Platform, which is our package solution that includes Kubernetes and, and other tools for monitoring, logging, uh, storage. This can happen in seconds now. And so, you know, speed is, I, I see a real shift from, you know, I worked in the network world for a long time and a lot of customers I work with, I'd say, hey, you need to get a VM for, for this, you know, this Cisco Prime software we're going to install. And it would take them a month to get it. Yeah. And that wow. just, that doesn't work anymore. So even, even today, even when there's a VMware environment, the containers are on top of it. They have to spin it up in minutes rather than, than hours or days. Sure. Wow. So, so David, Pete asked you what problems customers aren't having anymore, but there still have to be some challenges uh, that they're running into when they're trying to, I don't know if roll out a hybrid cloud environment is the right way to phrase it, because it doesn't happen all in one fell swoop, but when yeah. they're trying to move to a hybrid cloud environment, and, and do you have any examples you can share about uh, kind of what you're seeing in the field? Maybe maybe a couple of, yeah. I yeah, I mean, it, start right, it starts right from the application. I think that's one of the big challenges. They want to ultimately move to containers, move to, a, a, you know, make their applications cloud native. But sometimes they don't understand what applications they have. So we go in and we look at, okay, are your applications easy to port over? Can we do a lift and shift into a container? Are they already developed cloud native? Or do you have a lot of applications that are what we call traditional, their legacy that you'd have to really refactor to put into a container or to move to the cloud? So we start with that, that's a big concern. And then even from there, trying to understand, okay, well, what type of hardware do I need to support this? How much storage do I need? That's still a big consideration. So once they have that figured out, it's, you know, I understand Kubernetes, but you know, how do I onboard my applications? How do I migrate from cloud, from on-prem to cloud or between clouds? And once again, you know, Cisco is really, we consider ourselves cloud agnostic. We want to support the multi-cloud world, but that's a big thing. Should I go with Google? Should I go with Amazon? Do I keep things on-prem? That's the biggest concern. They don't necessarily understand what the difference is between the environments. So we provide some strategy and some guidance there. And then security. Once we get the applications into, you know, say their container platform into a Kubernetes engine and we want to, migrate it to the cloud or consume it in the cloud who's watching you know what's happening you know is our application secure are our user you know is our user information fine so we have tools like stealth watch cloud we have to talk about and you know we want to make sure that there's there's security around that so there's still a lot what i find most customers understand let's say 50 percent of what they have to do sometimes we have to go in and say did you remember about security did you remember about the the network integration so there's a lot of different pieces, and I think that's still coming with that that segregation between the different business units within the customer. And we're slowly starting to shift to have our customers develop more of what we're doing with the multi-cloud architects so that they can actually do the same in, in their environment too. Hey, hey David, in, so when you go into an engagement and you're kind of assessing someone's application portfolio that they already have, so, so suppose you go into a big enterprise and they've got 100 applications. In terms of a breakdown, out of those 100, how many of them are already cloud native? How many of them are monoliths but can run in a, in a container environment because they just need a Linux shell and they don't really care what it is? And then how many of them are 
are legacy monoliths that very much care about you know what kind of Linux uh, runtime that they're running in and, and really require a refactor. What's the, what's the breakdown look like? So it, it varies from customer to customer, but I can sure. tell you the last two customers we work with were large insurance providers, and the, about twenty percent of their ab applications were were legacy that required okay. some refactoring or they had some integrations. So they had they even had mainframe applications that they're still using. Yeah, so in that vertical. Some of those are never going to be, you know, easy to, to move over. There's some COBOL code that's still cranking in there, right? Absolutely. So that's 20%. I would say there's closer to another 60% that are ready ready to, to move into a container, right? And then the remaining 20% is probably already cloud native new applications that we can just, just port over. See, I, I'm not surprised that it's that 60% that you could run in a container environment, but doesn't necessarily take advantage of yeah. the bells and whistles that a cloud native application would. I mean, to a lot of those applications, you know, the Linux shells, the Linux shells, the Linux shell, right? I mean, most applications aren't written with specific, you know, kernel parameters in mind or, you know, like, yeah, a lot of them sit into that sixty. I, I, it doesn't surprise me that sixty percent, that that twenty sixty twenty. I like that breakdown. That that seems reasonable to me based on what you know I saw in my IT career. And, and then even to look at that sixty percent, there's a breakdown there between like Linux applications and Windows .NET applications as well. Yeah. So we have to look at that, and then that adds another level of complexity because some tools work well with with Linux yep. applications. Other ones you have to bring in something like a Docker container engine or a Docker Enterprise Edition to to migrate or what we call modernize some of these Windows applications. Right. So it's it's a good breakdown, so we have to look at that. Another media company we worked with over the last uh, couple of months, I would say 90% of their applications were already cloud native. Wow. So it was, it was funny, they're developing, I guess it's a newer type of infrastructure, newer type of DevOps environment. They were ready to go. They just wanted to set up the uh, the hybrid cloud and start to move things back and forth. For that small percent, so for that percentage of Windows applications that could run in a container environment without being cloud native, are, are you seeing people turn to Azure Container Services on top of Azure Stack on-prem, or are you seeing people trying to run that in Azure in the public cloud? So it's, uh, it's, a, it's a mixture. Um, we have a lot of, we work with a lot of service providers. Um, okay. One of the service providers is in LATAM and they manage different data centers. They went with the Azure Stack where they wanted to move the applications into Azure Stack and the data center. A number of other customers are just moving to public cloud. They want to do it. Um, so it's a real mixture. I would say the majority of what I've seen lately, it's more of uh, an Azure Stack, but that's just that's just because of the trend of the customers we've been yeah, working yeah. with. Yeah, yeah. And are, are you seeing that Azure Stack is over some of those early hiccups? I mean, with some of the early reports when that first came out, there was some issues with API compatibility compared to the public experience. And yeah. have they gotten over that hump? They have, they have, they really have. And like our, our Cisco Azure Stack, you know, with our Cisco hardware and the Azure Stack, uh, we've really gotten over that. We can do a lot of the integrations. We can, we can pull in other tools like we integrate with, uh, Workload optimization manager now to kind of look at the costs to see how we yeah. can shift things around cloud center. So it's, it's gotten much better. I, I would say it's it's running very well with the APIs right now. Well, and it's going back to my clicker days. That's that's why I asked the question is because we we supported Azure Stack, but not service manager. And at the time, some people got their nose bent out. It's, I should say Azure Pack, right? Because it was Azure okay. Pack before it was Azure Stack. And, and yeah, just from the guys that I know on that team, there were some they were front and center on some of those incompatibility issues of thinking that we could take the code that was running against the public cloud and just turn around and run it on the private. But then there was the API issues and it's, it's good to hear that they've overcome that. Cause that's, 
I mean, as we're starting to see both Amazon and Google start to have some on-prem Kubernetes strategies, yeah. it's interesting that kind of Azure is already there and has already gotten through some of the bumps. I guess longer term, do you, do you, how, how long do you think that's going to serve them well versus their competition there? I think they've got through it, and I think the experience with Azure Stack versus Azure, it's it's similar now. And I think that's all, that's always been the goal, to have that exact same cloud in a box type of yeah. model on-prem. Um, same thing, Google has their, their on-prem GKE, Amazon announced the outposts. I think the big difference that I see, you know, that they all work in their own way. I think Azure has been around for a while, so they have a little bit more of the market on-prem. Cisco's play really right there is something like container platform. We're not locked into one cloud, so yeah. our control plane is 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 not with Google. It's not with Amazon. That's a little bit of the difference. So you you'll still see with those those providers that their control plane is still with their cloud. Yeah, you'll absolutely see that. And what kind of latency are you going to experience when the control plane is you know several thousand miles away from you and and versus it being on prem? And you know as we've seen with the with the Amazon announcement, right? I mean. To me, the two key things that were part of our the Cisco Amazon announcement were the support model that you already mentioned, yep. and the fact that we're going to figure out all those IAM roles for you. I mean, that exactly. IAM is a great service. I mean, don't get me wrong, but like you got to have a PhD in IAM to get EKS <laughs> to run. Yep. And and the fact that that CCP that control plane is going to figure all that out for you once, and with a you know a couple of clicks, be able to spin up an EKS cluster for you with all those IAM roles lined up correctly. That's just, I think that's a huge win. And I think we're going to see more and more of that out of the CCP team, like you said. So you've got your control plane on-prem, but now, you know, you can you can launch those container, you can launch those clusters wherever you want. And I think longer term, you know, with this deal, you'll be able to have them communicate in, in a pretty seamless way as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, to go back a little bit, before CCP was even released, you know, way back before the concept, my team was deploying the open source Kubernetes for a lot of customers. Okay, yeah. And... The challenge with that is you have Kubernetes, but then I have to install 10 other applications for yeah. monitoring, for logging, and then that's great, it's installed, but with you know agile development in this world, there's like a release coming every day that I had to update. And this was, this was a challenge itself. Customers were finding this very difficult. Um, they wanted Cisco to manage it, which is fine, we could do that. But with the container platform, you know, it's all in one, it's all packaged. So even when there's an update, it comes as one seamless update and the customers can do it themselves. So they love this. And this is really, we've had a lot of uptake around container platform when, you know, once it's all packaged together. Well, and if you're listening and you might want to get your hands on it, the, the DevNet team has been really at the forefront of making CCP accessible to people. I've been running DevNet sandboxes on CCP 1.5 all through the fall, just, I mean, we're recording this on, on January, Wednesday, January 16th. They just released uh, CCP 2.2.2 on the DevNet Sandbox yesterday. And David, I don't know if this will make you jealous or not, but I got early access to a uh, Cloud Center 5 uh, bit package yesterday, which I successfully installed on top of CCP 2.2. I'm not jealous. I got it a couple of weeks ago. So oh, <laughs> oh I walked right into that. You really so, did. You set yourself up for that. So what, okay. we, what we do, I mean, it's great. And you see the same thing. We want to get that early engineering image or the early yeah. access. It's not to go in and break fix. It's more or less to say, okay, what features here? What can we do? Yeah. How can we extend services to the customers? And, you know, I think DevNet is, is 
something that we talk about a lot in, in, in our group within services. I mean, I have a couple of folks who are going to be in Barcelona in two weeks and they're doing DevNet labs all around microservices and containers. So yeah. it's great. That's the place to hang out at, at Cisco, at a Cisco, any Cisco live anymore yeah. to go hang out at the DevNet zone. Yeah. It's, it's a DevOps world. I mean, you think about it, this is what this is all about. It's, it's different to go, you go to some of these other events, whether it's Google next or, or, you know, Amazon, uh, it's, it's, it's a different type of, of customer that you see you run into there. Well, okay. This one, I think I, I got you on is okay. I I've been to the last five AWS reinvents. Do you know what the giveaway there is every year? No, no idea. I missed it's it. Not, this year. It's not a sport coat, man. It's a hoodie. And there's a reason for that, right? It's because that's <laughs> who their target market is. Yep. But so you said something earlier that raised a question for me. You were talking about, you know, Cisco Container Platform and how previously you'd install Kubernetes, but yeah, you'd have to, on top of that, you know, install 10 other apps to deal with load balancing and this, that, and the other, um, which is great because that is how I used to be selling it in the booth was trying to explain this to people. But what's interesting to me is who feels the pain of that? So say you were doing it the old way, you're just installing Kubernetes. It's not Cisco Container Platform. Who feels the pain of, of that, say they haven't engaged Cisco services, you know, we'd, we'd take the pain away for them, but who would be doing that? Would be the developer or is that the operations? I think it's still operations and the infrastructure folks. The developer really, to me, they just want it to work. They don't yeah. care if it's CCP or it's Kubernetes. They want it to be available so they can spin up their applications. And, and they're not the ones that are burdened with figuring out all these little tidbits no. that need to be added. Okay, okay. I just wanted to clarify because we do talk about that quite a bit about, you know, does the developer get stuck with some of this or is it really just operations that gets it? And, and even before that, even even the, the teams that, you know, are looking at, you know, what do I want to put together? You know, what kind of package? When you start to say, well, you're going to need this application, this one, this one, they're like, I think I'm not even going to migrate. Let me just yeah. keep stick with my VMs and and wait till something else comes along. Well, well and at that point, it becomes the developer's burden, right? Because exactly. the developer wants a Kubernetes 1.10, and if they can't get it from their IT ops, that's when they're going to have to go try to figure out those that IAM spaghetti that I was just talking about and have to yep. try to spin it up on EKS themselves. Yep. Interesting. The other question that I've been um, noodling on since you since Pete took you through the what if you had a hundred apps. Uh, at an enterprise customer scenario, and what percentage of them would be cloud native versus uh, traditional and whatnot, is I'm assuming that most of them actually have many more than 100. Yeah. Uh, but when you go into an engagement, is there a certain kind of application that you look at and you just know this, you know, this type of application is going to be a hot mess and is going to be hard to to deal with? And and if so, what what are those so that that folks listening can be prepared for that when they undertake such an engagement? Yeah, there's there are some applications when you look at it right away and you say, you know what, this is going to have to be completely redeveloped. It's not something that can make some minor changes. It might have integrations across different environments. So sometimes with something like that, um, we had we had a couple of customers. I mentioned the mainframe applications that mm -hmm. really would have taken, you know, complete uh, refactoring to get it there. But we did figure out that hey, we can take this and put it on. It's still like a dedicated server. We could even put it on a a Unix server and tie that, connect that to the container environment. We yeah. can still do that, yeah, but it's still dedicated. It was easier to just to still, for some of these one-offs to, to keep it in, a, in the server itself and, and use it, it that way. But is it like ERP or databases or where do, where do the Databases, problem? databases are the big one. Databases, okay. Databases, okay. yeah. All right, there you go, listeners, be forewarned. 
It's all fun and games until you get to the databases. Not all databases, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the ones I've seen, right? The, the challenging, you know, applications have been around databases. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Yeah. Excellent, Pete. Any other I'm, questions? No, I'm good. Um, I'm good. I, I, my, my favorite was the answer about the the breakdown of the apps that that um, that Ali just covered again. That's that's really insightful. Yeah, this has helped me a lot. Is there anything else you'd like to get across to, to folks who are listening and are wondering about when to engage services or how to engage services? Or can you use one services vendor to deal with all your cloud problems? Or are you usually working with a bunch of different vendors? What what kind of... Yeah, so so there's really, I mean, we have our life cycle of services, but customers can come in at any point. And we've seen really three different types of, of engagements. We've seen advisory-led, where they, they want advisory right up front and help them plan everything out right to the implementation phase. We've seen customers who've said, I want to implement this, I'm bringing in Kubernetes, but wait, I need some support. Can you come in and help me? And then security-led is the third one, where security is a big concern around everything. So we talk about microservices security around the containers. So there's three different paths. They can, you know, any of our customers can reach out to their, their product sales specialists, their SEs, their account managers. We have services business development managers dedicated to this. And one of the big things we do outside of the quick starts and you know the, the normal implementation is take all of these products, whether it's Cisco or third party, and build a solution. Because ultimately you want to build solutions, right? You don't want to have disconnected products. You want it to build together to, to accomplish specific use cases. So we've taken say the connect, protect, consume portfolio, and we've integrated everything together on top of our hardware, cloud center, CWAM, Stealthwatch Cloud, everything you can name. We use the APIs, and that's a big thing to build those solutions and accomplish the use cases. Nice. Nice. So you're delivering the dream. You're making it as easy as possible to get all the goodies, all the benefits, all the upside of cloud without the, the nasty underside that we don't even want to know about. Absolutely. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Well, David, I, I did warn you a little bit uh, when we were preparing for this call that I might ask this, but uh, can you share with me and with our audience? How you got into the tech world in the first place? Was that intentional? Was it accidental? We it, hear it a lot was. of interesting stories. It was. I've been at Cisco 19 years now. So I, I applied for, I was, uh, I moved to, to Calgary, Alberta, Canada. I was looking for some different job. I was actually a Windows admin at the time. And I saw an ad in the paper that just said, must have knowledge of TCP IP. And I said, great. Yeah, I know TCP IP. And uh, they said, rate your skills one to five. And I said, five. The next day, I got an interview with Cisco, and so I, that was wow. a, a real surprise that it was Cisco. And uh, so a lot of questions around ports and port numbers. And I spent the first ten years at Cisco in network management, so I've always been an application person. I knew someday, eventually, the applications would be uh, where things would end up. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's been quite a journey, and I see everything kind of shift from the the legacy. I wouldn't say legacy, but from the, the just pure route switch all the way up to software-defined networks now and in cloud. And it's really been quite a journey in Cisco. I mean, it's, it's you know, the, the, really the first job I've ever had. I'm still here at Cisco. Nice. Very cool, David. I don't know how many people can say they respond to an ad in the paper and it resulted in a 19-year yep. career with yep. a Fortune 500 company or Fortune 100. Yep. That's awesome. <laughs> Great. That's pretty wild. Well, thank you for spending time with us today and helping us understand uh, the role that services plays in uh, cloud deployment and cloud maintenance and overall cloud happiness. We Great. appreciate it. It's been Thanks a pleasure. <laughs>
Thank you, Pete, as usual, for contributing and helping up-level the conversation. I appreciate it. Have a good time in Barcelona. Uh, I'm sorry I'll be missing you there, Allie. Thank you. Yes, I will be thinking of you as I'm trying to interview the uh, cerebral Jeremy Oki without your assistance. Well, I'll, I'll be preparing for the Super Bowl. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, have fun there. Thanks again, everybody. I appreciate you tuning in today. Um, that's it until next week. We appreciate you joining us on Cloud Unfiltered.